Jesus for me and my house. Thanks for joining us in your homes and around your tables as we dive into our study on Philippians, which we have entitled, Finding Joy in Every Season. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. I think we can all affirm this. Uh, We can all relate to this. Whom among us has not known anxious thoughts weighing us down like a ton of bricks? Uh, In the church, that's true. And even outside the church, I think we're living in a very stressed out society Mm. as you look at all that's going on in the world. But you know what? If anybody had an excuse for worry, it was the Apostle Paul. Think about it. Paul was on trial in Rome. Uh, This could result in his own suffering and death. Uh, he, had, he had friends that were also getting sick, as we've seen in previous studies. Uh, he had churches that were being infiltrated with false teachers. And now what we see here today in our study in Philippians 4 is that Paul had beloved Christian friends in Philippi who were disagreeing with one another in a time when there was a desperate need for unity. And he wasn't even there to help them. So if anybody had an excuse for worry, it was Paul. And what we're going to see today is how does Paul respond to these situations where peace is being threatened? His Mm. peace, the peace of the church. And in Philippians 4, 1 to 9, we see that if we're going to conquer worry, uh, we need to meet the conditions that God has laid down. We need to add into our lives the ingredients that the Lord has prescribed. So in our text today, Philippians 4, 1 through 9, we see four ingredients right relationships, right praying, right thinking, and right living. Let's begin. So Philippians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Yeah, this is amazing. We see heart, Paul's heart of affection here. He says, my brothers, my beloved, whom I long for, my joy, my crown. You know, Paul's ministry is worth emulating. He loved people deeply. In the final assessment, it is our love for God and others that will matter. It doesn't matter if we have faith that moves mountains, that we, if we give all we have to the poor or suffer martyrdom. If, if we have not love, it means nothing. So our pursuit of holiness is a pursuit to learn to love. If we want to build something that will last when we stand before Christ, it needs to be a work motivated by a deep love for God and an affectionate love for others. Yeah, and Paul is teaching us here what it looks like to care for people and love people that we will instruct, that mm. we might have influence with. Uh, as you just, you know, as we just looked at, he, he's expressing his love. And, and then when we come into verse 2, um, he shows instruction on how to do relationships right. Mm. Verse 2, he says, I entreat Yodia and Sintika to agree in the Lord. Now, here's these two ladies, Yodia and Sintika. We, we have no idea what they're disputing about, uh, but whatever it is, it was bringing division into the church. Now, that could, you know, we could think that's a small thing, just, just two ladies with their little strife, but uh, division in the church, it's like cancer, hmm. right? It starts small, it spreads. People start taking sides. It hinders the unity effectiveness and ultimately the, really the, the witness of the church mm. was what was at stake here at that church in Philippi. So Paul had just said, I entreat, and that is to say, I implore you, I, I beseech you. You know, Paul, um, he could have commanded these two ladies, but he chooses rather to plead with them. Mm. And uh, notice he does it with uh, both of them equally. He says, look, look, look closely, I entreat 
Iodia, and I entreat Syntyche. Same words for each of them. Hmm. He's not taking sides. Paul treats them both tenderly and equally. So this is going to be instructive for us. We see Paul the tactful. We see the art of peacemaking. And there really is a need for such peacemakers today mm. because, um, you know, not, not a whole lot has changed in 2,000 years. Mm. There still is a lot of dispute in, in churches. Definitely. But we, what we can also gather in this text is that whatever these two ladies were in disagreement on must have been a disputable issue. It must have been a matter that is okay to dispute rather than an essential doctrinal issue or blatant sin issue. Because we know that when key doctrine or sin is the issue, Paul's track record is to directly address those. Yes, and so what these ladies were at odds over was a disputable matter, something where there was at least some margin for different opinion or approach. And they were allowing this to divide them. Now, what does Paul entreat them to do? And we see Paul desires them to agree with each other in the Lord. So in, instead of taking sides or solving their problem, Paul simply advises them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yodia and Syntyche had forgotten in their dispute that they have a greater common ground in Jesus Christ. Their difference doesn't need to divide them because it is the gospel that unites them. They are to look back at the instruction from chapter 2 uh, in humility to count Uh, the other more significant than themselves, to have the mind of Christ, to not demand our own rights, uh, because Christ did not demand his rights. He laid them down for others. So if we are humble, sensitive to others, and if we develop the mind of Christ, we will have grace for one another in the Lord. Paul, Paul is saying that we need to put aside our petty personal differences so that the Lord may be magnified and his work advanced. Right, and I think this could be really relevant to our churches today. Mm. And we can ask right here, what might a Yodia and Syntyche situation be in our times? What, what disputable matters might be dividing us in our churches when they ought not need to? Mm. You know, Lauren, um, we got an email this last week, didn't we, from a mm-hmm. friend in the United States. And she was just exasperated at the level of division happening like in her church and mm. through Christian friends. And it was bringing her to tears. And uh, it was an email to you, but I'll share this. She, was, she said, adding, adding to the already long list of things that have threatened to divide believers, we now have masks and vaccines, conspiracies, racial reconciliation, how people do or don't quarantine. The list just keeps growing. And, you know, I know that's just an example, but um, we need to remember that beyond our essential doctrines, which we do need to stand up and fight for, mm-hmm. but beyond that, There are innumerable Mm. disputable matters all around us. And in these things, we're we're called to to grace for one another. We're called to sensitivity for one Mm. another. And we're called to remember that that the gospel is what unites us and is what should be our greatest passion of heart, our greatest passion in our relationships in the church. Mm. And and if we can't, you know, if we can't rein it in on disputable matters, whatever they are, Things get out of hand, relationships get hindered, the, the church's peace and witness is affected. And, and then what? Then mm. what has to happen? Well, Paul shows us the art of peacemaking. Again, verse 3, he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul calls in his true companion, to help these ladies work it out. And here we see the value of a third-party perspective. Sometimes that's necessary in moving forward. 
And we might need that at times in our lives, Mm. but ultimately uh, we would rather be the person who is called in. Mm. We want to be that person in these verses, the true companion, the peacemaker. Um, So we want to be that person who will use tenderness and fairness to help where we can. Paul continues on with instruction to help us in our relationships uh, with the Lord and with one another. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Hmm. And we just can't get away from that, can we? Paul is asking us again, telling us again to rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, and it's such a weighty command to us because we know where Paul is writing from. We know this joy is not circumstantial. It can be a very present reality wherever we are and whatever we are going through. It's a fruit of our relationship with the Lord. So as we grow in communion with him, we can taste more of this joy. He continues in verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So the Greek word for reasonableness is actually pretty hard to translate into the English. Other translations use the words graciousness, gentleness, being considerate. Because we have experienced the gentleness, mercy, and care of the Lord, this should overflow into our our relationships with others. This is a call to not demand our own way. We must show a willingness to give up our preferences and to show grace to others. And this would have been a good word to Yodia and Sintika as well. To be reasonable is the opposite of being contentious and self-seeking. And why be gentle, merciful, and reasonable with others? Because the Lord is at hand. His coming is near. The imminence of his return should cause us to show a clear-headed reasonableness and a gentleness in our relationships. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again here, you know, we see that relationships, they can be a minefield of conflict Mm -hmm. and anxiety in our lives. But what we're seeing here is what we can do to be a peacemaker and not a peace breaker. So may that be every one of us. Well, after talking about our relating, Paul now in verses six to seven talks about our praying. This is the next ingredient in the battle against worry, right praying. Mm -hmm. The next two verses Martin Lloyd-Jones has said are undoubtedly of the noblest, greatest, and most comforting statements which are to be found anywhere in any extant literature. One is tempted to say that about many passages in the scriptures, and yet from the standpoint of our personal lives in the world and from the standpoint of practical experience, there is nothing that has greater comfort for God's people than these two verses. Verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as believers, we have already experienced the objective peace with God through repentance and belief in the gospel. And here we see a subjective peace that is available for those who exercise this relationship with the Lord. We have peace with God, and we can know practically the peace of God in our hearts. Paul shares that there is a way to be free from anxiety. Yeah, and what, we, and what this means, anxiety, is um, it, it means to be pulled in different directions. Uh, what anxiety is, is when our hopes are pulling us in one direction and our fears are pulling us in the opposite direction and we're pulled apart. That's what the word is getting at. You know, there's also the old English root word from which where we get our word worry. And that, that word uh, means to strangle. 
And, I, and I, again, I, I think we all can relate to this. If you've ever really worried, you know, right, that it can strangle a person. Mm. And in fact, worry, it's proven to have definite physical consequences like headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains. Um, worry affects our thinking, our digestion, even our coordination. And I pointed out just to say that this is what the Lord wants to um, mm. save us from here in this text. Yeah, but there is a peace available for us and how we want this so badly. For those who have experienced anxiety, this promise of peace is an absolute treasure to behold. Instead of the weight and pressure of anxiety, uh, you can have a heart fully at rest, free from debilitating worry and fear. Uh, so anxiety was never God's intention for us. He made this world with perfect peace and beauty. But man in his grasp to be in control sees the fruit. And what happened? Did man taking control make things better? In no way. This is what happens when we seek to be in control. This is what happens when we seek to be God. Nothing good can come of it. We make lousy gods. And anxiety is one of the big results of grasping for this control in our lives. We affirm truths with our mouths, but we may not know them in our experience or in the depths of our heart. We can affirm God is loving and in control, but when it comes down to our experience, if we are anxious, worried, fearful, we're actually doubting these things in our hearts. We show a functional root of disbelief that God will act in a situation. We might know in our head who God is, but in our heart he feels distant, perhaps unloving or not powerful. So the process of repentance is renouncing the false beliefs and putting trust in what we know to be true about God, the objective truth in God's word about who he is and what he has done. He is not distant. He is near. He is not unloving. He cares immensely for you and he is not lacking in power. He is omnipotent. Right. So from a spiritual point of view, worry is really wrong thinking in the mind and wrong feeling in the heart about our circumstances, about people, about things. You know, it's been said that worry is the greatest thief of joy. Mm. Um, Isn't that true? It, It is not enough though, for us to just tell ourselves to quit worrying because uh, that's not going to capture that thief. Um, it, it's not enough just to say, don't worry, be happy. Mm-hmm. We all remember that song from years back. Uh, worry, it's also been said, is an inside job and it takes more than good intentions to get the victory. And, um, and so what is the victory? Let's, let's look again, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The antidote uh, to anxiety is the right kind of praying, in which it says here we pray about everything. To put it another way, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Everything. You know, we're, we're prone to pray about maybe big things in our lives, but maybe forget to pray about the little things. And the little things, when they're, when they're left unattended, they grow up to become big things. So God would have us talk to him about everything. But, but look, this is important to see in the text, isn't it, Lauren? It's not just praying, but the right kind of praying. Mm-hmm. Paul breaks this down. He gives us three steps. And note he differentiates between prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. So the first one is um, in everything by prayer. What does he mean by prayer? This is actually a very general term that means worship and adoration. And what this is saying is that when you are overburdened with your problems and someone says, well, go pray about it, uh, what Paul is saying is don't rush to God with your petitions. Mm -hmm. Don't go first with your problem list. Mm -hmm. No, 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 not yet. 
come into God's presence and uh, forget your problems for a minute. Don't start there. Realize that you are face-to-face with God. The God of the universe is present. Um, and that is our first action, to spend, a t- to spend time alone with God in prayerful adoration and worship. We do this through the Son, by the Spirit. And why do we do this? Well, not only because God is worthy, but adoration for God, it, it, it helps us. helps us remember the greatness and the majesty of mm-hmm. God. helps us remember who he is, that he's big enough to solve the problems that mm-hmm. we cannot. You know, isn't it true that we too often, I do, uh, I rush into God's presence and hastily tell him my needs. But what this is saying in this text is freedom from, freedom from anxiety comes when we spend more time on who God is rather than what our problems are. Definitely. Yeah, this is the step we most often jump past, and yet it is perhaps the most needed. We first step, the first step to enter prayer is to take our minds off of the earthly things that are troubling us and to set our minds on him. Um, have you heard that the more you focus on something, the bigger it gets? So the more you focus on a problem, the bigger and more anxious you will become. We need to listen to the instruction from this beautiful hymn to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We must first look at God and acknowledge him to be who he is, loving and powerful and near. And if we are not believing these things, we we confess them and we start with our eyes on him. Yeah, and then having spent time in prayerful adoration, we're now ready to move on to the next step that Paul has here. He says, by prayer and, secondly, supplication. And this is where we now do present our requests to the Lord. We share our burdens. We cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us, as it says in uh, the epistle of Peter. Uh, We recognize that a loving and powerful God hears our requests, and he uh, wants us to bring them to him. He's a father that loves to hear. James 4.2 says this, You do not have because you do not ask. So we are to lay our requests before him. And um, I think this is interesting. If at this point we, we feel that doubt in our soul um, about the Lord hearing us or caring for us or being powerful in that situation, well, what does that mean? It means we need to go back, go back to the first step. Mm-hmm. Uh, go back to adoration. Mm-hmm. True repentance starts with changing what you believe about God. It's like saying, Lord, I doubt these things, so help me to see you as you are. Help me to trust you. And after we've come back to turning our eyes to him, then again, we can present our requests before him. Yeah, and this supplication is not just worrying in God's direction. It's not simply telling God what the problem is so that he will make it right. You know, most of the time, I think we would leave that kind of prayer just as anxious as before. But to actually cast our anxieties on the Lord is to take off that weighty backpack and to place it before him so he can deal with it, to trust him with it, to leave it with him. Don't hold on to what is burdening your heart. Cast it upon him. And the final step is we thank him. It is this appreciation. It says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we thank him for whatever his answer will be, knowing that he is good. And it is good. We thank him because we know he has our best interests at heart and he loves us. We acknowledge that life is in his hands and we thank him for whatever he will do. If you love God, he is weeping a tapestry for your good and for his glory. 
Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses, and it says, For those who love him, he is working all things together for our good and his glory, even the very hard things of this life. So do we believe this? This will free us from anxiety and worry. If you believe that whatever God responds will be good, um, then, then, then we can be free from that worry. I once heard the quote, when a child of God makes a request, he will always give them what they would have prayed had they known everything. So we, we pray from a very limited perspective, but we remember that we pray to a God that sees all things, past, present, and future. His perspective is so much better than ours. Do we trust him? Thank him for whatever his answer may be. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in him with all of your heart. Okay, so right praying is adoration and then moves into supplication mm. and is joined thirdly with um, thanksgiving, appreciation yeah. and thanksgiving. So now what is the result of such praying? And it's important to see what it does not say here in the text. Paul does not say that our prayer in and of itself is going to make you feel better. Paul does not say, uh, just pray to get your mind off things and you'll get some temporary re- relief. Uh, in other words, Paul is not driving at psychology here. You know, there is a school of thought that, uh, that says that, you know, it's good to have some religion in your life. Mm. Uh, it, it has a therapeutic effect for you. And um, uh, that's just baloney. Uh, uh, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that it, it, when you pray like this, and um, it, it says that uh, God will do something. It's not that you've done something or your, even your prayer will do something, but the God who hears your prayer hmm. is going to do something. And what is that? Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we have to see here, God is the actor. Hmm. Okay, God is the hero. It's not, it's not you. It's, this is not psychology. It's not even really your, your prayer. God will use that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's God. God is personal. He's powerful. And we see that God is a giving, generous God when we come to him like children in faith. Yeah, and the result is the gift of peace. The fruit of peace in your life is connected to the root of trust and belief in the Lord and that he has your best interest at heart. So if you are rooted in this, you will begin to experience the peace of God. This peace surpasses understanding. The world doesn't understand it. If you're struggling financially or your kids are struggling or you have hard health struggles, the world wonders, how can you have peace with that? Uh, The world thinks it's crazy, but it is not crazy. It is available for the children of God. To know you have a father who will hold you and carry you through, and his answers are good. This sort of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, and look at that word guard in the text. The word guard is garrison. That's like a fortress. It carries the weight of an army surrounding a city to protect it. You know, I think you would sleep pretty good at night if you had an mm-hmm. army outside protecting you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, there are enemies that are trying to attack your joy. Mm-hmm. But God provides an army of peace uh, to guard your hearts and your minds. And notice he says hearts and minds. Guarding the heart, um, that's because we're susceptible to wrong feeling. And guarding the mind, because we're susceptible to wrong thinking. Mm-hmm. And this garrison, this fortress picture is so helpful because um, it also shows us that this is not portraying the absence of trials on the outside. Like They're going to be there, hmm. but it does mean a quiet confidence within, 
um, a protection from them as they're right there. So regardless of circumstances, um, uh, people or things that would otherwise steal our joy, we have this garrison protecting us. And, and note how this is all possible. It says, through Christ Jesus. Um, we'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the Lord Jesus, he is the source of every spiritual blessing from God, including this peace that surpasses understanding. And what this also means is that we must be in Christ if we desire to have the peace of God, which Paul is writing about. So let's get to pause here and ask, do, do you desire the peace of God? Uh, then you must be in Christ. And you can do that as you turn to him in faith, in repentance of sin. Uh, so you must be in Christ. And then you must commune with God frequently in the kind of praying that Paul is teaching here. So this is the condition for victory over worry. It's right praying. This is the ingredient we need in our lives. But now Paul takes us to another ingredient, and this is right thinking. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These are the essential ingredients for the mind. And this is interesting, isn't it? Um, we live in a culture that can be consumed about what we put into our mouths, right? We live in a culture that's largely about healthy eating. We want whole foods. Uh, that's not a bad thing. And a lot of people buy into the reality that consumption of junk food means a junk body. Okay, we get that. But are we just as concerned or even more vigilant about what we put mm. into our minds, mm what we put into our minds and chew on and digest. This is huge. And, mm -hmm. and here we have a strict diet from God's word for the mind. Mm -hmm. And here's where the world offers all kinds of other diets for our mind. Yeah, there's much worldly advice with how to deal with anxiety. And it, it usually goes along these lines. Uh, stop thinking about that. Think about this. Use relaxation techniques. Go on a vacation. You know, these things will never get to the root of the issue, though. But Paul does, in commending us to think on whatever is true, honorable, excellent, or praiseworthy, he's calling us to turn our eyes to the scriptures and the truth found in them. Yeah, meditate on these things. And there's a really big difference between biblical meditation uh, and, um, and the things that are practiced by many other religions. Christian meditation dwells on that that is already revealed in creation or in inspired revelation in the word of God. Whereas other forms of meditation are seeking some new truth to be revealed or just to empty out the mind. Yeah. So we're not simply to empty our mind of what is bothering us, but rather to give it to God and to be filled with the words of scripture. He is calling us to dwell on doctrine. You know, a secular counselor will, not, will never call you to dwell on the important questions of this life. Uh, but it is the big picture perspective that we need to camp on. Uh, where did we come from? Where are we going? You know, there is a God and he made us for fellowship with himself. He created a perfect world with no sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. It's gone all wrong. We've all turned from him, but he sent his son to rescue us and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth to live with us forever. We have value and our future is secure. We should set our mind on these things. So this instruction on our thinking is just vital. And this is where most of us are attacked um, and, and where we need to fight back in these spiritual battles. And we need to take every thought captive. 
2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So this is warfare language. And the first thing that Paul says to dwell on on this list of his is to dwell on what is true. Uh, That means we have to be in God's word. Uh, His word is truth. Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Yeah, and this also means to stop dwelling on what ifs. What ifs are things that are not true and we were never meant to dwell on. They will cause us anxiety and fear. So part of dwelling on what is true is not to think of all the situations that might cause what ifs. What what does this person think of me? What's going to happen in this situation? Uh, This is part of taking our thoughts captive. We must not allow possible situations to consume our mind. It's a tactic to destroy our peace and our joy. So we must set our mind on things that are true. And then Paul adds, whatever is honorable and whatever is just. And this doesn't mean that we hide our heads in the sand and avoid, you know, all the unpleasant and displeasing things in this world. But it does mean that we do not focus our attention on dishonorable things. We don't permit them to control our thoughts. I think of the news. Sometimes we just have to turn off the news. It's not that we shouldn't be informed, but sometimes this is too much to dwell on. It's just too ugly. And then also Paul says, then also, whatever is pure. That probably refers to moral purity, since the people then, as now, were constantly attacked by temptations of of sexual impurity. And he says, whatever is lovely, and whatever is commendable or of good report. Uh, What it's saying is, as believers, we must focus on high and noble thoughts, not the base thoughts of this corrupt world. You know, Lauren, um, there were, I've told people this a lot, <laughs> there, there were TV shows that I used to watch that I just won't watch anymore. I used to defend them and think I had Christian liberty to watch them. But in God's grace, I came to realize that they were really um, dragging my mind and my heart down to the gutter and my mood. And so there should be at times in our lives where we can look back as Christians mm-hmm. and say, you know, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, there's a change. What mm-hmm. I had my mind on back then, I do not have my, man, my mind on today. Mm-hmm. And then finally, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Um, anything, anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, that's a big open door. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can mean a lot of things. It can mean uh, music and books that are Christ-centered. Yeah, I was just reading a book recently that you got me uh, for my birthday, Brent, and it was all about good reading. I love this quote. Uh, the author said, I, I know the books I read deeply shape the person I am becoming day by day. When I come to a dilemma of discernment, I often find that if I examine what the book produces in me, in my emotions, my imagination, my desires, my sense of what is real or true, I can quickly identify if the book is one I want to continue. You know, the same is true for movies or websites or TV shows. She goes on to quote C.S. Lewis, who writes that we are helping each other to grow day by day into the divine beauty that reflects the fullness for which we were created or a corrupted self that would shock us if we could see the end result. So let's try to choose the books, music, TV shows, movies, websites that lead us toward glory. And the ultimate book worth commending is the Word of God. 
right? Psalm 119, 165 says, great peace have they which love thy law. So bottom line, right thinking is a result of daily meditation on the word of God. Yeah, so this is yet another condition for victory over anxiety and receiving God's peace, right thinking, particularly a mind set on the word of God. And this is just so important. Uh, A thought may appear small in the beginning, but when dwelled on and acted upon, it can have eternal ramifications. There's a saying that says, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Okay, now just one last ingredient that Paul gives us, and this is verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. In in other words, just do it. Uh, This is doing. Uh, You know, it's one thing to study this. It's another thing to... Uh, record a podcast about it, but we just need to do it. And so as we end our time together, what is one ingredient, at least one ingredient that you will add into your life this week from this study? Uh, Is it from relating peace in our relationships? Is it right praying? Is it right thinking? What is one thing that you will add in and do this week? Well, let's end with this reassurance. As we do these things, it says at the end of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. That's the promise. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you today that we can call upon you as the God of all peace, the God who made peace with us through your Son, through the cross of Christ. You made peace with us when we were enemies of God, and now we're your children by faith, by your grace. And we thank you for the peace that you want to bring into our everyday lives that we can have as we um, learn and and practice the things even from this text. So Lord, we want to pray for unity and gospel perspective in our relationships and with one another. Uh, I pray that you would help us to be peacemakers. And we pray that you would help us to cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. And Lord, we want to pray also that you would help us in our thinking that we would increasingly uh, take, our th- uh, take our thoughts captive to Christ and dwell on his truth. Lord, we thank you that it is your good intention that we would have a deep and abiding peace, all bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work for us. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us in our study on Philippians. We look forward to continuing in chapter four with you next week.